before the message. It's been said that all roads lead to God. And this makes a certain amount of sense. In life, there are a thousand different ways to get where we're going. Winding scenic paths, wide, fast highways. We can walk or ride, drive or fly. Wrong turns and detours may slow us down. But sooner or later, we make it. We get where we want to go. Could it not be the same for our souls? We all search for meaning, for fulfillment, for purpose, for God. But we come from different places. We're different people. And we don't all travel the same roads. But surely, if we try our best, if we follow our heart, if we believe in ourselves, we'll make it. Everything will work out. We will find salvation in the end. But there is a flaw in this way of thinking. The path to God is no road at all. It is a person. His name is Jesus. And salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No matter the road we choose, at the end of this journey that we call life, there stands a gate, shut fast. It is not opened for good people. It will not budge for those who lived right or loved well or did great deeds. It will only open for those who put their faith in the Son of God. Those who, in life, called upon the name of Jesus and believed him when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to John chapter 14. We continue in this I Am series where Jesus makes I Am statements. And today in John 14, specifically in verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Perhaps you've heard this verse before. In fact, it's actually painted in the foyer. You can see it on one of our walls out there. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We'll be unpacking that. In this particular chapter, there's also a couple of things that sort of came out to me as I was walking through this. That I thought, you know, it'd be important to stop the car, if you will, and have some conversations as a congregation. That it's not just going to be that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But there's some things that are going on in this passage that I think we need to address, that we need to look at together. So, we believe this is God's Word. And we're going to pray because we believe that when we read God's word, he's saying something and we want to prepare our hearts to receive what it is he's trying to say and speak into our lives. So will you bow your heads and pray with me before we begin this message? 
Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for the provision that you have made through Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we get into the scriptures today and we read specifically from John 14, I pray that your words would come alive. Lord, you would move upon our hearts by the power of your spirit. Speak into our lives. Help us to receive from you. Clear our minds. Clear our thoughts. Clear the distractions. And help us to focus on you. We ask your blessing and your anointing over this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. John 14, starting in verse 1. Jesus says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you've seen me do. And I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name. And I will do it. If you love me, obey my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. And soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to the Lord, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? 
And Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I am telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, He will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I am going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really loved me, you would be happy that I am going to the Father who is greater than I am. I have told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches, that is, Satan. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's be going. There's a lot going on in this passage, and obviously if I was to read that whole thing and just say, now let's just focus on the way, the truth, and the life, we're missing a variety of things that Jesus is addressing. One of the first things I want to point out to you, I don't know if when you read this, some things start to kind of roll around in your mind, maybe in your spirit, but in verse 13 and also in verse 14, Jesus says, you can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. How many of you, when you read that, there's a part of you that starts to sit on that just a little bit? Because I don't know about you, but there's times where I've prayed for things, and it seems like it's not exactly happening. Can any of you relate to that with me? Do you have prayers that you lift up and, and you're praying them in the name of Jesus and you're wondering why these things aren't being answered? Well, I feel like we need to address that a little bit here in regards to what does it mean to truly pray in Jesus' name, okay? First off, you need to understand that praying in Jesus' name is not some magical wand that at the end of your prayer, poof, it'll happen. You know, we're praying, and then we finish the prayer by saying, in Jesus' name I pray, and then since I said it that way, it should happen. But that's not what it means to pray in Jesus' name. That we can sort of wave some wand and it'll happen because we threw that in as like a tagline at the end of the prayer. Now, it's not wrong to say that. I say that all the time, personally. Just know that it's not a magic wand to get whatever you want. And when we say to get whatever you want, understand that the Bible says that sometimes you don't receive what you're asking for because you're asking with the wrong motives. You want whatever this answered prayer would be because it's something selfish. It's something that you would desire, but perhaps God has something bigger that he wants to do in your life. So maybe he's not answering that prayer because he's going to do something else. So it's not a magical wand. The other thing is praying in Jesus' name acknowledges that he is carrying the office of mediator. Understand that when Jesus went to the cross and he paid 
the penalty and the price for sin. Something happened so profound in the temple. The veil, the curtain that separated people from the most holy place, it tears and now there's access to the Father. We can go in to the most holy place, if you will, because of what Jesus has done. Our prayers go out through the Holy Spirit and they go to our mediator, Jesus, who gave us access to the Father. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father and 1 Timothy 2 tells us there is only one mediator between God and man and that is Jesus Christ. One mediator between God and man and that's Jesus. Praying in Jesus' name, when you pray a prayer in that way, it should match up with God's desires and God's purposes. Our prayers accomplish God's purposes only if they are submitted to and in tune with God, with His Word, and with His desires for our lives. In other words, if we pray prayers that are in line with what He desires, watch out. You'll see things happening because they line up with what He would want. The last thing to note here in regards to praying a prayer in Jesus' name is that when you pray in His name, it embodies Jesus' character. You're representing Jesus with these prayers. You know, Shani, you mentioned that we walk around and we have the authority of Christ in His kingdom. We pray for those things. We represent Christ when we walk around in this world. And when we pray in Jesus' name, we carry out things in His name. The Bible says that we are Christ's ambassadors. We represent Him. You carry things out, and these things are things that He would desire. And sometimes we try to manipulate that. We have things that we want, and so then we throw our, our prayer out there, and then we say, well, God, answer it in Jesus' name. But the reality is maybe we are praying wrong. Maybe we need to check our hearts before the Lord and say, Lord, is there things that I'm asking for that you don't want to do? Because there's something else that you have in mind. But a prayer in Jesus' name will embody his character. A person's name in the ancient culture represented that person. You're doing something with their approval and in their authority. And when our prayers are in harmony with God's character they can be extremely effective. So what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Please understand, it's not just simply saying it at the end of your prayers. There's so much more than that. It acknowledges that He is the one who's given you access to the Father. You pray a prayer in Jesus' name, it's according to His will and what He would desire, and it embodies His character. Now I want to back up now to that the way, the truth, and the life. But that is one thing I wanted to touch on here to help us through that, because if you're like me, you see a couple verses like that and you start to scratch your head a little bit. You think, does that mean anything I pray about? As long as I throw Jesus' name in the midst, it's going to happen? We need to understand what it means to pray in His name. But breaking down the way, the truth, and the life. To understand what it means that Jesus is the way... The way would be He is the path unto salvation. He is access to the Father. He is the mediator, like I said, between God and man. And this word way, 
He is the way. When you look at the language of this, it's like, it's like a road. It's a pathway. And when I think about this and the things that he did for us, you realize that before Christ, there's this chasm that separates us from God, and the reason for that is because of sin. But Jesus bridges that gap because of what he has done on the cross. And so I've got a little sign here that Brady and I found in a store one day, and we bought it. And I think this is pretty cool. But a, a one-lane bridge. What an odd sign to find in a store, you know, not one you see very often. But it got me thinking about the reality of who Jesus Christ is. There's only one bridge that gets me to the Father, and that's Jesus. And there's not a lot of roads on this bridge. There's one road, and it's Christ. And that is the only way I can get to the Father, is through this one-lane bridge of Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever seen a sign like that before? One lane bridge. Perhaps you have as well. But I thought that was a perfect example of who Christ is in our life. Acts 4.12, the Bible says there's salvation found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The only way you can get to heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ. I mentioned earlier in 1 Timothy 2, the Bible says there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. Please understand, he is the way, and he is the only way. We live in a culture that would like to say there's a variety of ways to get to the same place. That is false teaching. That is not true, and to be straight with you, that kind of belief, if it's not in Jesus Christ and it's in one of these other ways, that path leads straight to hell. He is the way. He is the way. When Jesus says he's the truth, you need to understand something that in the Old Testament on several occasions, the Bible refers to God as the God of truth. He's the God of truth. And so when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth, he's actually making a profound claim about his own deity. He is God. And I don't know if you've noticed a little bit of a pattern in this series, but we address that there's this statistic out there of all these people who think that Jesus was a teacher, he was just a prophet, but when you come to this whole, like, he's God thing... You know, there's people that aren't embracing that. Well, I just want to tell you something. If you think he's a teacher, you think he's a prophet, and you like what he has to say, please understand, he's saying he's God. And here he is saying it again. He is truth. He is God. And truth is what is consistent with the mind, the will, the character, the glory, and the being of God. That is truth. Because God is truth, what God thinks, what God desires, His character, His glory, His very being is truth. Truth is the self-expression of God. And you see a couple more verses here talking about the Holy Spirit that's to come and help those who walk out the truth of the Scriptures. The Bible says when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. 
And Jesus saying about his followers, he says, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Talking about the scriptures when he was praying over his disciples. And then you've probably heard this one before. But it says, You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So you know Jesus, you know the scriptures, you know the very being of God. He is truth, and the more you get acquainted with that, you're set free, you're liberated from all of these lies that surround you in the midst of our culture. So you think about how the Holy Spirit comes to guide His followers in truth. We have His Word to guide us in truth. We know His truth sets us free. What's interesting is, when I look at the Scriptures, I see that as His commands. I see that as His instructions. I see that as the manual for life. And if I'm to love God, I should do well to listen to the Word of God and to apply it into my life. And Jesus reminds us of this over and over and over. And he says, listen, obedience equals love. How many of you want to love God? Just by show of hands. How many of you genuinely, you want to love God? You want to know how you can do that? Follow his commands. We have a lot of people in the American church that they kind of just go to church to check off a box, but they're lacking that genuine love for God. And you know why they're lacking that genuine love? Because they're not walking in His ways. It's more of a, like a feeling. Like, well, yeah, I love God because He makes me feel good, but God's saying, if you truly love me, obey my commands. And He says it over and over and over again in this passage. Verse 15, if you love me, if you love me, obey my commands. Verse 21, those who accept my commands and obey them, those are the ones who love me. He's starting to separate people out here. Kind of makes me ask myself the question, do I love God? Because if I do, I should be following his word. Not making up my own theology and kind of going through the motions. If I love God, I'm going to get my nose where it belongs and make sure that I'm living my life according to his commands. If you love God, that's your response. Obedience to his instructions. And sometimes people look at that and say, well, that's asking a lot. I mean, I like the Christianity where I just get all the fluffy stuff and... You know, I know where I'm going when I die, but I mean, you start throwing accountability into my life. I got to make a decision. How much do I really love God here? But he says in verse 21, for those who are doing this, he says, I'm going to reveal myself to them. And I want you to know something. For years in my life, years in my life, I kind of walked the, the half in, half out. Okay, And when I began to see God show up, it's because there was a certain point where I said, all right, I'm all in. I want to obey you, Lord. I want, I want to know what you want from my life. I want to pursue that. And when you start to do that, all of a sudden you start to learn more and more about who God is. How many of you can testify that in your own life? When you got serious about obedience, you started experiencing God in ways you never could have dreamed. Jesus says, all who love me, it's pretty uh, straightforward, all who love me, 
will do what I say. All who love me. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. I mean, you can see the direct connection here between obedience and love. And here's the thing. Jesus is asking you to do something that he is also willing to do. In verse 31, he says, I will do what the Father requires of me. He's going to obey the Father too. And in verse 31, he says, so that the world will know that I love the Father. So if he's coming to do that which was required of him, what was that? His step of obedience was to give his life. That's a pretty big sacrifice. You think about all that he went through, the the torture and the agony and the suffocation while you're hanging on a cross. You're doing all that the Father requires of you because you love the Father. But you're also doing it because you love people too. And understand that God loves you so much that he sent his son to walk through that path of obedience so that we could be set free. And our response to that sacrifice, we should want, we should want this. We should want to follow him because of what he's done. Jesus is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And I want to take a moment to talk about him being the life. Romans 6, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How many of you are thankful for eternal life? Yes. You have something to look forward to. Someday you're going to leave this earth. And you're going to get to spend eternity with Christ in heaven if you have Jesus Christ in your life. Jesus also said in John 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Here's something very interesting, though. We know we have eternal life, but there are Christians who walk around and it's like there's no life in them. It's sad. Just the other day I was thinking of an individual and I thought, you know, I know this person, they have the Lord, but why, why, aren't, why aren't they soaking in the joy that comes from the Lord? It just feels like they're just kind of down all the time. God comes to give life right now. And I was actually talking with another pastor just this morning. And we talked about how the churches that preach the gospel and stand on the word, you can can see the life that's going on in these churches. It's vibrant, and there's so much life. And then you can go to these churches where it just seems like, I attended and I actually got the life sucked out of me. Jesus gives life right now. And in that very verse, he says, he does not come into judgment, but they've passed from death to life. I want you to know something about me personally, and I think for a lot of you who have faith in Jesus Christ. There was a certain point in my life when I surrendered my life to Jesus, and my dead spirit came to life. You know what this means? It means that when I take my final breath here on this earth, my next breath is in the presence of God. 
I've already passed from death to life. I can live with his presence right now, and when I take my final breath here on this earth, my next breath will also be with him in my life. Isn't that an awesome thing? Let's start living then like there's life. In John 10, Jesus says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've referenced this a couple times in this series. But Jesus comes so that folks may have life and have it abundantly. Let's live like we're actually living. So we can have life everlasting, that's his presence in heaven, without the presence of sin. And we can have life now, his presence here on earth. You know what's very interesting about what he's telling his disciples here? This week as I was walking through this, there's a certain word that Jesus uses when he talks about he's, he's going to prepare a place for those who are his believers. And that is so comforting and so reassuring to know that he's working on a place for me to dwell. And he says, in my Father's house, there's more than enough room. Or some translations say, there's many rooms. And some translations say, in my Father's house are many mansions. Depending on what translation you're reading from. But that word right there, the Greek word for that, is monet. Not the painter. Okay? Not the, the green stuff that you, you use for transactions here. Monet would be mansions, rooms, literal rooms, dwelling places, homes. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many monets. Many monets. I don't want to burst anyone, anybody's bubble on this, but you think I've got a mansion in glory. And you watch these things on HGTV, you know. These houses on the beach, millions of dollars. Then they ask the people what they do for a living. And you're like, how are you making that much money, right? I'm an underwater basket weaver, and I'm uh, <laughs> making a good living so I can afford this beach house that's huge. You think a mansion's like that. But in the Jewish culture, when they... Husband and wife were in the process of getting ready to get married. The groom would go back to his parents' house and begin to build on to their house. And this room was called a mansion. Think of that. We're going to go shack back up with mom and dad, right? Okay. Well, in this case, he says, my father's house has many mansions. Now, you think about this. The Bible calls the church the bride. And Jesus is the bridegroom. And you think about this sweet marriage between us and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's saying, you know what? We're kind of in this betrothal period where he's saying, I'm going to go back to my father's house and I'm going to prepare a place for you so that you can be with me where I am. And he's coming back. And he's going to take the church to come and be with him. And they will be with him forever. But what's very interesting is this same word, Monet. He's, he's setting this up for the future. In verse 23, Jesus says, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them. And we will come 
and make our home with each of them. That word home is the same word of what he's preparing in heaven. He's saying, guess what? We also want to set up shop right in your heart. We want to make our home in your life. That's powerful. Again, it reminds me that it's not just about the finish line, folks. God wants to do stuff in our life right here and right now. And there are people that are walking around and their life is like an abandoned home. And they don't have the presence of God. and It's a struggle. But the presence of God changes everything when He makes His home in your heart and life. And because He is the way, the truth, and the life, there can be the presence of peace in the midst of all the things that are happening around us. Jesus starts this whole thing off by saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust me. Trust me. No matter what you're walking through, trust me. And then he says in verse 27, I'm leaving you with a gift. We know he's going to send the Holy Spirit, but this gift he's talking about, he says, I'm going to give you peace of heart and peace of mind. And this is not any kind of peace that the world can give. How many of you know that the world is terrible at giving peace? Absolutely terrible. And Jesus says, the gift I give will give you peace of heart and peace of mind. Imagine if in the back we had a whole table full of bags, and I said, when you leave today, in that bag is peace of heart and peace of mind. Take that with you when you leave. Listen, that's what Jesus brings into people's hearts and lives. It's not in a gift bag. It's in the reality and the presence of Jesus Christ living in the home of your heart. Peace is attainable because of Jesus Christ. And he says, don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. I want to close with Erasmus's prayer when he says, O oh Lord Jesus Christ, you have said that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Suffer us not to stray from you who are the way, nor to distrust you who are the truth, nor to rest in anything other than you who are the life. And as we close this message today, I ask that simple question, but yet it's so profound, is how is the Holy Spirit speaking to you this morning? Are the things that he's reminding you of, the reality of who Jesus Christ is and what he can be in each of our lives if we trust him and we acknowledge who he is each and every day. Just last night we had an individual pray to receive Christ at the end of the message. And I believe this individual is walking through some things where peace is lacking. But last night they left the building with hope because Christ is living in the home of their heart. And perhaps there's someone right now that's listening and you think, there's a whole lot of turmoil going on in my life and I need this peace that you're talking about. Then I want to encourage you, just like the individual last night, put your faith and trust in Christ. 
He doesn't give as the world gives. He's so much better. So much better. And if you already have Christ in your life, let this be a reminder that you can trust Him. No matter what you're walking through, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust Him. And have that encouragement to know that He's preparing a place. We have the hope of heaven. But I also want to tell you, not only do we have eternal life, but life with Jesus is right now. And so let's live in light of that, the joy that he gives. Let's bring that life to those around us because we're in a world that desperately needs Jesus. So let's not take a message like this and just be encouraged ourselves. Let's take a message like this and go be an encouragement to the world around us. Amen? Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, I thank you for your word and how you speak into our lives in such powerful ways. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray right now, asking for you, God, to shape us, to mold our lives, our circumstances, the things that we are walking through and use them for your honor and for your glory. Perhaps there's someone listening right now that would desire for God to come and make his home right into their own life. If you desire to receive him today, I want to lead you in this prayer. Pray with me in your heart and say, Jesus, today I surrender. And I ask for forgiveness of my sin. Please cleanse me and make me a new person. I invite you into my heart right now. Come, make your home in my life. Thank you for saving me. And I receive this gift of salvation by faith, by grace through faith. And we thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice that made a way for us to be saved. Lord, in light of this message today, help us to be people who take this message of great encouragement and hope and bring it to a world that is lacking hope right now. Help us to be aware of people we can minister to and help us to live lives in obedience to you because we love you. Not just lip service, but heart response. Lord, we thank you for this message today. Holy Spirit, guide us and lead us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to go into a time of worship together.